You know, it seems to me sometimes that some of the songs we sing have a concept that is easier to sing than it is to live. No matter the trials that come my way, I will sing praise and trust in you. That's easy to sing. It's not as easy to live for most of us. Well, today we continue our series in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. And the fact was Paul had some enemies in Thessalonica. And basically what they were trying to do was to get those converts, those people who had trusted the Lord, to turn against Paul. And the way they were doing that was to say that Paul really didn't care for them. That when difficulties came to them, Paul abandoned them. He didn't stay with them. Albert Barnes wrote, The objection seems to have been that he had really no attachment for them and no regard for their welfare, that he had fled from them on the slightest danger. That was the accusation brought against the Apostle Paul to the believers there in that little church in Thessalonica. That when difficulties came to them, Paul had left them alone. I remember when the Lord had called me to preach, and I was uh, speaking with Jake Self, who was the associate pastor of the church where we belonged. And as Jake Jake was talking with me, he said, Now, Wendell, you are either going to be a shepherd or a hireling. And he quoted from John chapter 10. He said, When the wolf comes, the hireling flees, but the shepherd is willing to lay down his life for the sheep. In other words, the the, the shepherd stays with the sheep because he cares for the sheep. Well, that was the charge that they were bringing against Paul. They were saying that Paul does not care for you. He is nothing but a hireling. And so when difficulties came to you, then Paul fled. Paul refuted their allegations. He said, that's not true. He said, I really do care for you. And in fact, I pray for you. And in his letter, he said, we give thanks to God always for all of you making mention of you in our prayers. And then Paul went on to say that I have dealt with you in integrity. That's what he says in his letter. I have dealt with you in integrity. He said, I have been gentle with you as a nursing mother is gentle with her children. So he said, that simply is not true. And he wrote this letter to encourage them in their suffering. Take your Bibles, turn with me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning in verse number 1. Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith so that no man may be disturbed by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction, and so it came to pass, as you know. For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith, for fear that the tempter might have tempted you, and our labor should be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love, 
and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account? As we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all men just as we also do for you so that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Paul is addressing Christians who suddenly and unexpectedly were facing trials. They were facing some difficult times. And so in order to encourage them, Paul acknowledges their affliction. Understanding that when Christians face difficulties, that is usually unsettling for us. Is it not? When we are facing difficult times as Christians, we oftentimes say, Lord, why is this happening to me? Lord, do you not care that this is happening to me? Have I done something wrong? And so it is unsettling to us. So Paul then is expressing his concern. And because he was concerned about their trials, he sent Timothy to them in verse number 2. We sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage as to your faith. So Paul says, I do care about you. And because I care, he said, I sent Timothy to you. Now, in verse number one, he said, I wanted to come to you myself, but I was unable to do so. Paul's concern was that some of the Thessalonians were disturbed. In verse number three, he says, so that no man may be disturbed by these afflictions. The word disturbed is interesting. Barnes says the word rendered disturbed occurs nowhere else in the New Testament. It properly means to wag, to move to and fro as of dogs which wag their tails in fondness. Then to move or waver in mind as from fear to dread to tremble. So when Paul mentions that some were disturbed, he is saying, my fear is that some of you might begin to waver in your commitment to the Lord. My fear is because of the difficulties, the affliction that you are facing, that some of you begin to waver in your commitment to the Word of God. And he uses the word affliction. The word affliction literally means under the thumb, and it refers to pressure. So he is saying, I recognize the pressure that you are under. And with the Thessalonians, their pressure had come from their own countrymen. In chapter 2, verse number 14b, he says, uh, For you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen. In other words, he is saying that the suffering, the affliction that you are experiencing is coming from your own countrymen, from your own clan, from your own people. 
Now, folks, that is always the most difficult affliction to deal with. When it comes from somewhere where it ought not come. I know and have known through my ministry students, for instance, who wanted to live for the Lord. But the pressure that came to them not to live for the Lord came from their own friends or classmates. There are some of you, I'm sure, that you want to live for the Lord. You're trying to live for the Lord. But the pressure that you feel not to oftentimes comes from your own classmates, your own friends. For some of you, you want to live for the Lord, but the pressure that you experience comes from family members. And I have experienced that, and I'm sure that some of you have. They don't understand your commitment to the Lord. They don't understand the amount of time that you give to the things of God. They don't understand your tithing and those kinds of things. And so they say something negative about it, and it becomes pressure to you. Ought not be, but that's where it comes for some. I suppose that's one of the reasons that I get especially aggravated when I feel that our own government sometimes is pressuring us to abandon the clear teachings of the Word of God. When we understand what the Word of God says and our government officially takes a position that is contrary to the Word of God and puts pressure on us as a result of that. Now that's what Paul is speaking of. But look what he says in verse number 3. So that no man may be disturbed by these afflictions for You yourselves know that we have been destined for this. What? Afflictions, suffering, difficulty. And he says, but we have been destined for this. Albert Barnes says the phrase, we have been destined for this, means that such was the divine arrangement. Now, that doesn't make any sense, does it? That these afflictions that we undergo, these pressures that we experience, that we have been destined for this? Brian Bill wrote a very strong way of saying, your hard times were placed here by God. This verse teaches that trials are appointments, not accidents. Sort of like singing that song, isn't it? I mean, it's easy to say that, but to actually accept that? That the trials I experience are not accidents, but appointments. But that's what Paul says. These afflictions that you are experiencing, he says, we have been destined for this. He said, you should have expected them. Look at verse number four. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. Paul said that you should have expected affliction in your life. Now, folks, here's the problem that we have as believers sometimes. We think that if I give my life to Christ, then I am exempt from any difficulty in life. That if I give my heart to Christ and I am serving Him and I am following Him then somehow I am exempt and God just wants to bless me with all good things and his favor. And I don't have to experience these things. Well, that's not what Paul is saying. Why do we have these afflictions? Why do we have these trials and difficulties in life? Sometimes it is for our testing. 
First Peter chapter 4, verse 12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. He said, when you go through difficult times as a believer, don't think it's strange. He says, sometimes it comes for your testing. Do you want to know the depth of your commitment to the Lord? How do you respond when your world is falling apart? That's how you really know. I mean, whenever you are facing and struggling with illness, how do you, how do you respond to it? Whenever you have financial afflictions, how do you respond to them? Whenever you have disappointments in life, how do you respond? See, that's what he's saying here, that sometimes the afflictions we experience come so you and I can see how well we're doing. It is for our testing. And then Paul, several times in this letter, says that intense afflictions, when they come, is an indication of the nearness of the return of Christ. And so the Bible says to us that as we come to the end of time, as we come to the return of Christ, the scripture says to us that we should understand that the increased hostility is going to be ours. As we come closer and closer to the return of Christ, folks, the world is going to be increasingly hostile to believers. The Bible says in Matthew 24, 9, Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you. And you will be hated by all nations on account of my name. Why do they come? He says sometimes it's to test us so that we understand the depth of our commitment. He says as intense afflictions come, it is an indication of the nearness of the return of Christ. Paul says in verse number four, for indeed when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we're going to suffer affliction. The word that is used there is continuous tense. He meant, I kept telling you this. Now we don't like to hear that today. We like to hear good news all the time that everything's going to be great. Paul said, I kept telling you, therefore you should have not been surprised when these afflictions came. But when they come, they can cause doubts. Look at verse number five. For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor should be in vain. When afflictions come to us, the truth of the matter is, is that it can cause us to begin to doubt. We begin to doubt the goodness of God. The psalmist says in Psalm 142, four, look to the right and see for there is no one who regards me. There is no escape from me. No one cares for my soul. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, whenever you and I face afflictions in life, trials in life, there is the temptation that we begin to doubt God's goodness as to whether or not God really cares for us. Does God not care? And if we doubt long enough, then we begin to despair. We ought not, but we do. The Apostle Paul experienced afflictions in his life, but he never despaired. Paul said, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing. The believer who has faith in Christ and dwelt by the Holy Spirit ought not despair, even though they face difficulties in life. So there's the recognition of trials, but then there's the expectation of faithfulness. Even though we experience trials, we are expected to remain faithful, and the Thessalonians did. 
they continued with their faith in God. In verse number 6, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love. He says, Timothy has come and he has returned to me and has given me good news about you. Paul was a little concerned that they had begun to doubt, but he says when Timothy returned, that he came with good news. They continued to believe in God's character, that God was good. You know, a lot of times people have said to me, can you explain to me why this is happening or that is happening and so forth? And I can't. I can't. The one thing that I have settled in my own theology, I guess, in my own walk, is I believe God is good. Even when I don't understand why things happen as they do, I, I still believe that God is good. And someone has said, when you can't see his hand, trust his heart. And that's what it means, that I believe that God is good. Well, they believe that. They, they believed in the character of God, that God was good. They continued to believe in the purpose of God, that God had a purpose for them, and that even in their afflictions even in their trials, that God was at work in their life conforming them to the image of Jesus Christ. And folks, that is God's plan for you. God's plan for you as a believer is that you become conformed to the image of Jesus. And even though afflictions come to us, trials come to us, God uses those trials and afflictions to make us more like Jesus. They continue to believe in the presence of God. Hebrews 13.5 says... He himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. That is the promise of God, and they continue to believe that. They continue to believe in the power of God, that God would enable them and deliver them. They believed in God's provision. God enables us. What a wonderful comfort that God enables us. Stephen Olford wrote, what God expects us to attempt. He also enables us to achieve. God enables you to face whatever you encounter. God enables you to do whatever he calls you to do. Jesus was speaking to Simon Peter and said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but... I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. The Lord says that God is going to enable you. Can you think of those experiences in your own life when God enabled you to do something you thought you couldn't? As I was thinking about that personally, I thought about when the Lord had called me to preach and I hadn't preached I went to church early one Sunday morning because we had a prayer time. And so I had gotten there early. Linda came later, but I had gotten there early for prayer. John Bassanio, my pastor at that time, saw me. He said, just the guy I'm looking for. And I, that always makes you nervous when Dr. Bassanio says that. I said, okay. He said, Do you, have, have you written a sermon? I said, well, I've written one. I haven't preached it. But I've written one. Good. He said, there's a pastor who called this morning. He is sick and he wants me to send somebody over to preach for him. And he said, and I told him that you would be there. He said, so call Linda, tell her to bring your sermon and get over there and preach the sermon. 
I was scared to death. I had never preached before, and I was scared to death. I found my way over there with great fear and trembling. And when I went into the church, uh, the pastor wasn't there. His office was locked, so I couldn't go anywhere. There was no place. The rooms were all taken by Sunday school. There was no place for me to go. So I went in the men's toilet (laughs) and locked the door. This is honest truth, and locked the door. And for the entire Sunday school, I I turned the commode into an altar. (laughs) And I'm on my knees in that little stall praying, God help me. Scared to death, I prayed for the entire time. People knocking on the door, I didn't care. They could go somewhere else. I was praying. I prayed for that entire time. God, you have to help me. I don't know what I'm doing. And I got up and preached. have no idea what I preached or anything else. And when I finished... I was so relieved, I sat down. The minister of music came over and said, are you going to give an invitation? I guess I should. So I got up and gave an invitation. And then I thought, oh, Lord, don't let anybody come because I don't know what I'm supposed to tell them. (laughs) And there was a woman who came walking down the aisle. And we stumbled through it. I hope she got saved. She said she did. I don't know. I but the point that I'm making is that in all my ineptness, and, and there have been many times, but in all my ineptness, God enables. And folks, sometimes we get to thinking, I can't witness unless I've been through all of these training programs. No, you can witness if you know Jesus. Sometimes we think that we have to have all of these study courses. We have to have all of this information. No, what we need is a willing heart. Because it is God who enables us to do what he calls us to do. And what is the evidence of that empowerment? Look at verse number 6. He said, but now Timothy has come to us from you and has brought good news of your faith and love. He says, Timothy came and gave me good news of your faith towards God and your love towards others. That is the evidence of God's enablement. That you have faith towards God and love towards people. And Paul was encouraged by that. Look at verse number 8. For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. For there's not anything like people we love standing firm in the Lord is there. When my children stand for God, there's nothing like that to me. When this church stands for the Lord, even during difficult times, even when society says that we are on the wrong side, When we stand for the Lord, when you stand for the Lord, what an encouragement you are. Paul said, I was encouraged by your faith and love. Faithfulness is expected, but also we are to pray for each other. I have uh, one of my favorite scriptures is John 17 because it's Jesus' prayer for you and for me. We refer to the Lord's Prayer and we know for our Father who art in heaven and so forth. The Lord's Prayer is in John 17. And it's interesting to me as I have read that so many times as to what the Lord thought was important and what he prayed for. What did he pray for, for you? Well, he prayed for unity of his church. He says in verse 11, I come to thee, Holy Father, keep them in thy name, the name which thou hast given me, that they may be one even as we are. That was the Lord's prayer. There's so much disunity in the church today. Jesus prayed 
for our unity. He prayed for our joy in verse 13, that they may have my joy made full in themselves. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And if there's any group of people who ought to be joyful, it's the people of God. And that's what Jesus prayed for, your joy. He prayed for preservation. Verse 15, I do not ask thee to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. He didn't pray that we would be exempt. He didn't pray that we would be removed, but he prayed that we would persevere, that we would persevere during difficult times. He prayed for our sanctification. I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. He prayed for our love, verse 26, that the love wherewith thou didst love me may be in them and I in them. That was his prayer for you. Now, Paul prayed for the Christians in Thessalonica. And he had three petitions. That their faith would mature. Verse number 10. As we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. The word complete that is used there means to adjust, to equip, to furnish. In Mark chapter 1, verse 19, the word is used to refer to the mending of nets. In other words, he is not referring to someone who has arrived to complete, to arrive, to be perfect. He's not saying that. But he's saying, I am praying that you might mature, that you might grow up, that you might continue to grow up and mature in the Lord. That was the first thing he prayed for. Secondly, that their love may abound in verse number 12. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all men, just as we also do for you. You see, folks, here's the problem that we have. When we are going through afflictions and trials, for some there is the tendency that we withdraw. When we go through trials and afflictions, there is the tendency for some that we build walls rather than bridges. And he's saying, I'm praying for you that your love may abound. Because as you draw closer to the Lord, you love people more. You cannot do it another way. Some people think that, well, I love the Lord, I just can't stand people. No, well, then there's something wrong with that. As you draw closer to him, you love people. The third thing was holy lives in verse 13. So that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. His goal for you is holiness. I know people say, God wants me to be happy. No, God wants you to be holy. And he says, I want you to be unblameable that no charge or accusation may stand against you and holy. And what is the motivation for it? According to Paul in this, what is the motivation for your holiness? The coming of the Lord Jesus. Let me ask you a question. If you really believed that Jesus was going to come next Friday, how would you live this week? You think you might live holier than you've been living? I'll bet you would. If you really believe that Jesus was coming back on Friday, you would live holy. That's what he says. We live holy because we believe that Christ is coming. So we face trials. They are unsettling to us. But he said, that's our destiny. Don't be surprised. He says, nevertheless, we are to be faithful. Faith in God. Love each other. And pray for each other. That's what Paul said to the Thessalonians. And that's what he says to you and to me.
Our gracious Father and God, we thank you for the word, the encouragement of it. And Lord, I know that today there are people who are facing trials and tribulations and afflictions and difficulties and pressures. Lord, I pray that they would be encouraged today. I lift them to you. And I pray, Father, for those who need to make commitments to you today, that they would do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a moment, we're going to stand, sing a hymn of invitation, an opportunity for you to respond to the Lord. If you're here without Christ, commit your life to Him. The staff will be here to receive you, to talk with you, to pray with you. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. We'd love to have you as part of our family. Stand with me, please, as we stand together. The choir sings, you come, I'll greet you as you do.